0: DESTRUCTION DIRECTIVE! Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the episode today. Hope everyone enjoyed our last episode where I took a look at Terror of Mechagodzilla, the last Showa era Godzilla film with my brother Jason Jack Canetti. we're changing gears a little bit today but there's a couple of themes in common uh, today we are taking a look at Gamera 3 from 1999 which is of course the final film in the Gamera Heisei trilogy although there was another Heisei Gamera film and I'm also not alone I am joined by a guest please welcome back to the show my good friend and friend of the show Adam Tebow Adam how you doing man
1: Oh, you know, I am doing okay. Uh, I've been uh, been consuming some uh, tokusatsu and kaiju films and just uh, preparing myself to to be on the show and talk about uh, our friend and all of the children's friend, uh, Gamera. Yeah. Although uh, this movie kind of plays with that theme a little bit, shall we say.
0: Yeah, not, not not so much the friend to all children in this movie, is he?
1: Yeah, m- mistakes were made.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I like to say the, the important thing is not assigning blame, it's finding a path forward and moving forward, right? So that's the important thing.
1: Reconciliation um, is the word of the day. Really.
0: Yeah, that's right, that's right. So so I said, we're taking a look at Gamera 3, Gamera 3, the Revenge of Iris. Its literal title is uh, Gamera 3 Irisu Kakuse, which literally can translate as Gamera 3, Evil God Awakening. Although the way that the term for evil god is written, it's shown that it's supposed to be pronounced Irisu, so Iris, uh, also known as Awakening of Iris or Awakening of Iris, and known very early on under, as the title Incomplete Struggle. In fact, that's the name I knew it under for many years, because that was what it was known for for a long time in pre-production. It's called Gamera 3 Incomplete Struggle. Uh, this film was released on March 6, 1999 in Japan. It would make its way over to the U.S. Uh, four years later when, uh, in 2003, it was released on DVD by ADV Films in dubbed form. It's never been released theatrically in the U.S. Uh, the only, like, I mean, uh, other than a few festival dates, I did note it did play at the Toronto International Film Festival in 1999. So it did get a little bit of North American exposure um, in 99. You know, we were talking before we we came on the air uh, how do you say the enemy monster in this? Is it Iris or is it Iris? And it really seems like that depends on whether you like the um, the Japanese pronunciation or the Western pronunciation. And uh, I, I don't know if you, I've always fallen to Iris because the first time I saw this film, it was on a, uh, it was a, a bootleg that was in raw Japanese and had no subtitles or anything. So, Iris was how I always heard the monster's name. So when I finally saw it dubbed and they were calling it Iris, it seemed wrong to me. Where, where do you fall on that, Adam?
1: Well, for me, the the first I knew about the movie, like I didn't even know there were any, more, any newer Gamera movies uh, until that um, three-disc set got released uh, maybe five, ten years yes. ago. Uh, and so right. I, when I got the set, I just read the title, you know, like I like I would uh, uh, any other English, like the English name. So I, in my brain, was calling it uh, Iris, but then the movie started and and it was Iris because I was watching it in the uh, in the original Japanese. So uh, I mean, in my head, I just I end up going back and forth, like basically minute to minute. So uh, I I don't think right. there's a wrong answer to that one.
0: Yeah, and I reached out to some other, uh, some of my fellow Daikaiju podcasting and contemporaries, and every one of them all said Iris. So I think it really does come down to how you're first exposed to it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I did talk to uh, a coworker of mine who has a major in Japanese, and, and she said that, based again on how it's written in Japanese, Iris would be the way you would say that in Japanese. So I guess it's just, it's down to preference, right? To me, it's kind mm-hmm. of like the, uh, the King Ghidorah, King Ghidorah thing you know both both of them have been used by toho so you can kind of just go however you want you know
1: yeah i think uh, i think in, 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 again yeah it's just one of those cases where i'm sure there's some uh fans that will uh, argue with you either way but i think oh yeah, yeah. It's what, what, how, however however uh works for you is fine
0: yeah yeah so a little bit on the crew here. This is going to sound uh, very familiar to the last two uh, Gamma films we covered because it's basically the same crew. So our, uh, our writer uh, is uh, Kazunori Ito. He's best known as the writer for all three of these uh, Gamera films in the trilogy. He also wrote for Ultraman The Ultimate Hero. That's the one that features Ultraman Powered. Uh, that was the one which was filmed in the U.S. but never actually shown in the U.S., Uh, which uh, I picked up a bootleg of many years ago at Heroes Con. Uh, Well, you know, back in, uh, oh, cheese and rice. At least 10 years ago, I picked up that bootleg Mm -hmm. of it. Uh, We're waiting to see if Milk Creek's going to release that one. I don't know if they Uh, are or not.
1: I I was just going to ask about that, because I know that they're, uh, it seems like they're trying to push everything out the door before the end of the year over there at Milk Creek, uh, because they've got two, three releases coming out next month, and then more in October and December, so...
0: Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything about Powered or Great. Great was the one that was filmed in Australia, which mm-hmm. was actually my first exposure to Ultraman, and actually I think a lot of American uh, fans about our age probably was the first one. They haven't said anything about them, so I, I just don't know the answer. Um, in addition, Ido did write for the anime version of Ghost in the Shell. Uh, he wrote on the series Dot .hack and the mecha series Paddlebor. Um, now, uh, he is co- he, he is co-credited as writer with the director Shisuke Kaneko and they actually first worked together. They were staff writers on an anime called Urusei Yatsura, which I am not familiar with, but I have seen, I've seen that pop up a lot again because of Ito and Kaneko both working on that. So uh, a lot of different, uh, writing credits, uh, for Ito. Yeah. Uh, I was,
1: the, I was uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Good.
1: I was actually recently watching, um, and it's, uh, speaking of pronunciations, uh, Pat labor, because the, uh, the Mecca in that show are called labors.
2: Ah, uh,
0: yes.
1: Uh, and they're, 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 they're uh, police vehicles, So it's like patrol and labor,
0: pat labor, patrol. I never, I always thought it was labor. I, I did Optimism. too. Uh,
1: right up yeah. until I started watching the show.
0: <laughs> very good. See, learning, learning something new already. I'm going to write that down. Pat labor. Very good. Uh, so, uh, The special effects are by uh, Shinji Higuchi. Uh, Got his start as an assistant special effects guy way back on uh, Bye Bye Jupiter and Return of Godzilla in 1984, working over at uh, with um, uh, Teruyoshi Nakano over at Toho. Uh, But he was also the director of special effects for, as I said, the other Heisei Gamera films. He would also later... I I thought this was interesting. He got a co-director credit on Shin Godzilla... And then would also direct both of the live-action adaptations of Attack on Titan. Oh, so wow. transitioned from doing special effects to full directorial ship, which I thought was pretty cool.
1: I mean, uh, I guess moving on up uh, for uh, yeah. uh, for that guy. Yeah. I don't, uh, you know, you, you don't see that all those, that those often. Those Attack or...
0: on Titan films, I've, I've heard, I'm sorry, go ahead, Adam.
1: Oh, no, I was going to say, uh, you don't, you don't always, you don't see a lot of uh, special effects guys move up to just straight up directing, but, um, I've heard mixed things about yeah. those, uh, those attack on Titan films.
0: Yeah. I've, I've never sought out the anime I've read. I've not the manga, but I've read some of the Western comics and, and such. I probably should delve more into that because it's very intriguing to me, but yeah, those live action ones I've heard mixed things on. So, Hey, you never know. And, uh, Final credit, of course, our director, Shisuke Kaneko. Um, naturally, he's the director of the other two films in the trilogy. Also would go on to uh, direct uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, All Out, Giant Monsters, Attack, during the Millennium Era for, uh, for Toho. Film uh, many fans consider the best of the Millennium films. Um, also directed episodes of Ultra Q Dark Fantasy, which was the, uh, the new version of Ultra Q, as well as Ultraman Max. Now the trivia I read for this is that that makes Kaneko the only person who has accomplished the trifecta. He's uh, directed a Godzilla film, a Gamera film, and an episode of Ultraman. <laughs>
1: that is uh, th- that is the hat trick as far as uh, like Takahata's to unless he unless he decides to pick up some extras with uh, directing an episode of Common Writer or something.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that it's like people talk about having a bucket list. There you go. That'd be uh, you know. I don't. I don't know. As as a as a middle aged white dude in America, I'm probably not going to pull that off. But man, that'd be cool, you know. (laughs) You you still got time. I got time. Yeah, they they say forty's the new the new thirty now, right? So we got it. I hope so. Yeah, seriously. Uh, All right, so so that's our crew, and um, now I have here. I have the synopsis from Wikipedia. I've cleaned it up a little bit because uh, it was a little. A little labor-intensive trying to, to read that synopsis. So I cleaned it up a little bit. So we're just going to go through the synopsis. And uh, as we get to points, we'll just we'll just jump out and we can discuss, discuss the film. So you ready to go? Yeah, sounds like a plan. All right, let's hit it. So three years have passed since Gamera defeated, talk about pronunciation, Legion or Legion. And the world is once again plagued by Gauss, which have now evolved into Hyper-Gauss. Mayumi Nagamine, the noted ornithologist returns to aid the Japanese government in addressing this threat. And let me break out right there. So we get the, the gauss right up front where they've attacked a village and we have the, uh, the, the, uh, the corpse of a gauss that killed some people in the village and the old lady's hacking at it. And you see the flies and everything. And it's like, you know, the, the thing with the gauss is that we know that they're, they're vicious and nasty because we've seen the first movie, but you know, they're also they're kind of weird and gross at the same time, aren't they?
1: Yeah, that that rotting Gauss corpse was just one of the uh, and we'll have some more damaged uh, Gauss coming up in, the, in a little bit. But that was just pure nightmare fuel there. Yeah. With, uh, you know, like the eye hanging out and the, the, the flies. It was just it was a lot, especially for yeah. like, the opening scene of the movie.
0: Right. And it kind of, you know, and, it, and it's not that any of these movies are light, but it does kind of set the grim tone of the film, like right out of the gate too. Yeah. Like here's
1: you the know? bad guy from the first one now in rotting corpse form.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, we get the, and, and you know, we have, it's not in the synopsis, but we do get the flashback, which we'll talk about too. So things are already kind of grim to, to start out here right from the beginning, you know? Um, so um, meanwhile, a graveyard of gamma fossils, is found at the bottom of the sea by a research vessel this is really cool i um i really th- this this to me was when i first saw that it was such a you know they had talked about the ancient civilization and all that especially in the first one they don't really touch on that too much in in attack a legion but in the first one they go on about you know how the the gauss and the gamma are the, these ancient creatures and all that and the gamma was created by the ancient humans and so it's like you know um, just seeing all of those all of those shells on the bottom of the sea that that's one of those that was like a mythology thing, right? It's just so different. The series already being super different from the Showa films, but that that there was this idea that there was you know maybe many cameras or many attempts at Gamera was I really thought that was a cool addition.
1: yeah, it, it, it does bring up a lot of questions, you know, like you were saying, were those cameras that that like fell in battle? Uh, and if so, like what could, what, given what we've already seen, what could possibly require a whole army of them, uh, or was it just like uh, like that lab in the uh, was it the fourth Aliens movie where they're they're trying to clone Ripley?
2: Right.
0: <laughs> yes. They're just
1: like going through iteration after iteration until they get to the one that we know.
0: Yeah. So it's like I said it just broadens that mystery again. It's it's these these films have never been knocked for for not being ambitious and they certainly are here. So um, let's see. So. At the same time, shadowy government agents, the occultist Miss Asakura, and uh, programmer Karada Shinya are meanwhile working with a different agenda, with Asakura believing Gamera to be an evil spirit. Uh, these will be our two villains of the piece, sort of. Our two human villains, anyway. And uh, it gets into a lot of, like, the, the you know, again, the kind of, almost like a yokai sort of thing with the guardians of the, of the different, of the, of the North and the South. And it's one of the things that I, I get what they're going for, but I think it's purposefully not really fleshed out because we get so much with, as we're going to see with Ayana and, and Iris, that these guys are just misinformed. I think is part, part of it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they just kind of periodically show up and like move the plot forward a little bit, but they yes. don't really ever explain themselves in a like thoroughly to anybody. Um, and uh, I, I did note that. Uh, Shinya Karada looks like, like you can tell that this was made in the 90s. It looks like a 90s anime villain with his like yes. big flat trench coat and with the collar pop like uh, pulled up, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it it was a look.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was a choice. You know, decisions were made. <laughs> All right, so a pair of Hyper Gauss appear in Tokyo's Shibuya district and are opposed by Gamera Gamera attacks the Gauss with little regard for humans, killing an estimated 20,000 people in the process and causing the Japanese government to order Gamera's immediate destruction. So here's kind of like the crux of the movie, right? Because of Gamera using all that energy to destroy the the Legion Queen, and that shatters his connection, the little uh, amulet that... um, uh that asagi has so he no longer has a connection to humanity so he's still the guardian of the earth but he doesn't have that connection with with human life that this is this is pretty pretty harsh you know because gamera who's always avoided you know collateral damage and all that things that godzilla never seemed to care too much about now we are we're blowing the gauss out of the sky with their you know uh burning um Derritt raining down on people. He blows up the, the building. You see people going flying in the explosion. If this again, we're we're only about maybe 10 15 minutes into the movie and things are clearly, you know, already kind of taking a different tack than we've gotten in the last two.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you see like people getting sucked up into the air that was like from the force of the of the explosion at the fireball. It's it's really brutal. Uh, although it did make me think, and it made me laugh very inappropriately, of the episode of Futurama where they get superpowers. Yes. And the, and the mayor brings him in and he's like, well, the value of the gem rules you recovered was slightly higher than the property damage you caused. So <laughs> uh, so congratulations. <laughs> congratulations, Gamera. The two monsters you killed probably would have, I don't know, killed maybe a couple more people than you just did. So right. well done.
0: Yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a nice, a uh, couple of nice uh, things in here. So one is at the end, there's the kid that's saying, Hey, Gamera saved me. Gamera saved me because he happened to not be hurt when the people around him were all either hurt or killed by Gamera. The the other one I like from a visual standpoint, we see Shibuya in flames in a long shot with just the flames licking up into the night sky. And the daikaiju nerd in me looks at that and says oh okay that's got to be a reference to godzilla 54 when we get a very similar scene of tokyo in flames at night from the long shot just looking out over it so it's like yeah and that's you know we're we're 45 years after um after Gojira, and again it, it's uh, it's done by the supposed you know hero of the franchise so to me that's kaneko paying homage to uh, to honda
1: I didn't make that connection, but now that she now that she mentioned it, that that, that does
0: make sense, that tracks. Yeah. Meanwhile, a young girl named Ayana, whose parents were inadvertently killed by Gamera during his previous battle with Gauss in nineteen ninety five, discovers a stone egg sealed within her village temple. The egg hatches into a small tentacled creature who the girl names Iris or Iris after her dead pet cat. Uh, Iris forms a link with Ayana and becomes the focus of Ayana's quest for revenge against Gamera. Iris, however, attempts to absorb Ayana in the process of its growth. The girl's classmates manage to free her from Iris' cocoon, but Iris... Well, we're jumping ahead here. Um, But we'll we'll stop there. So, okay, so we meet Ayana, and we meet... See in flashback that her family um, was in Tokyo during the fight from Garden of the Universe. and that her parents were killed because they had to go back to get the cat and so she and her brother were survived but um they the her, her rest of her family did not and she holds this this grudge against Gamera for this in fact one of her classmates uh, says at one point hey Gamera is our friend and she goes well you wouldn't said that you wouldn't say that if he stomped on your parents you know yeah I, I and did it's, find it's that it's like yeah I can you know <laughs> yeah,
1: it was it was very 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 tone deaf, uh, he, and, and I think that that same kid, I think his name is uh, uh, Tetsuari Maribe. Maribe, yeah. Um, yeah. He he uh, he says that her parents died in an accident. I was like, well, that is technically correct, I suppose. I mean, the giant turtle wasn't intending specifically to kill them. Yes, uh, but uh, uh, and I don't. Uh, I, I do feel like you feel a lot of empathy for her because she's clearly, you know, her parents got smushed by a turtle. Uh, and she, her, they show a little bit of her home life, which seems very grim. I mean, I think the opening, like when we first see her, her aunt and uncle are trying to convince her to change her last name because they live in a conservative village where I guess it's inappropriate for mm-hmm. a, an adopted uh, kid to not have the same last name as, uh, as her, her adopted parents. Yes, but yeah, you know, it's just like uh, well, pile that on top of uh, of all the other like the bullying she's experiencing at school and uh, just the natural trauma from everything that she's been through and oof, you know it's yeah again very definitely setting the tone for this movie,
0: right? And and again, it, it's very different. We I don't there's no human story in a Daikaiju film similar to this before or after, you know. The idea of, I mean, we, we've had humans that have had, you know, different opinions towards monsters, you know, good or bad. But the idea that we have here a, a human character who is directly negatively impacted before this movie even begins and holds a grudge that it is such a, you, you, you said that uh, Karata was like a 90s anime villain. This is such like a, an anime sort of idea, isn't it? Or something like more, I might even go to say like a manga sort of idea. Uh, looking at the negative emotions of of the situation and and the trauma. I I, I liked I say liked. I, I thought it was very interesting that here in ninety nine, before it became um kind of, kind of a cause celebre, we had the issue of bullying. Right? Mm-hmm. Where the outsider is uh the new girl is, is bullied and treated poorly and then uh you know, let's just say in, in a different context, this might have gone a different way, right? But and she ends up in a you know in in the cave and she can move the seal easily and it's all this uh it gets into the the more uh spiritualist aspects but yeah i you you really feel for Ayana because you you can sympathize with her but at the same time you know that what she's doing is probably not the right choice but you also know that she probably doesn't have much say in the matter that that this is to her you know i say it a lot when when uh, when you're a hammer the whole world looks like a nail when when you're you live only for you know, revenge and hate, everything is a tool to that end, right, and and that everything is put on her path to, uh, you know, achieve this, it doesn't matter that, you know, ultimately, uh, Ir- Iris needs her for his own purposes, right, he doesn't need her because of what she wants, Iris needs her because of what he wants.
1: Yeah, um, and... I think part of it, and I, I, this is ninety nine so this I, I may be reading too much into this based on some some newer things that I've experienced. but a, a lot of animes and video games have the like the young teen who's separated from their family. they go live with like their uncle or something in the in the country. and then they have like this you know co- magical, complicated adventure. Um, specifically the persona games. a lot of mm-hmm. those uh, end up that way. Um, and this is sort of the. Yeah, what if that happened, but everything went wrong? <laughs> you know, uh, like, you know, she, you know, she has to go live with her aunt and uncle in the country. Not because her parents work abroad or whatever, but because they're, they're gone. You know, she goes to a new school, but the people there bully her. And she finds like a magical creature in the forest. But instead of, you know, going on some sort of... Uh, like heroic adventure where they fight evil together or whatever it ends up almost destroying the world
0: right hmm. yeah that's 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 very interesting i did i'd never see i've never played like persona and stuff like that so i didn't make that connection but yeah you're right it's it's almost like a uh like a really dark version of like the lion the witch in the wardrobe right i mean you go yeah. off into the uh go off into the country and then bad stuff happens right the, yeah there's just no. no Mr. Timness in this one, right? <laughs> yeah, I've
1: always said, stay out of the woods. Nothing, nothing good ever happens there.
0: Nothing good ever happens in the woods. Yeah, ever see Friday the Thirteenth? Bad <laughs> stuff. All sorts of stuff happens in the woods. Actually, uh, as an aside, there's a um, um, is it? I think it's Polish. There's a Polish horror film that's on Netflix. That it's called um, No No One Survive. No one gets out of the woods tonight, or no one survives the woods tonight. And this this is a complete aside, but you know the the modern trope that oh cell phone mo- you know, horror movies can't work with cell phones. Mm-hmm. So the setup for this is that it's a bunch of teens who have been sent to a um, a uh, like electronics detox camp, and so they <laughs> have their cell phones all confiscated. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean that's I mean modern was it was it the the Chappelle Show? Uh, modern problems require yes. modern solutions. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, oh um sorry uh, real quick uh, something i meant to mention um we were talking about bullying a minute ago and uh, i realized that the bullying is um, i mean obviously the, the setup is with gamma on everything you know sets her on this path of revenge but it's actually the bullying that starts off the the problems in the first place because the bullies make her go into the shrine and tell her she has to like retrieve something to prove herself so that they'll leave her and her brother alone so you know if they had if if the the teenagers in this village were slightly less awful she may never have gone in there and found the uh and found iris in the first place
0: right yes so it really is that you know uh negative the negative actions of others can have negative consequences for everyone right Mm -hmm. and by not showing any compassion for this girl, obviously, spoiler, bad things happen to this village. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and, and and just the uh, I I understand that this is a movie, uh, and that in real life teenagers can also be callous, but it takes a it takes a lot of just mean spiritedness to pick on a girl whose parents got crushed in a mo- giant monster attack. Like, like, there's nobody else who you might be able to do this to. It yeah. doesn't have quite the same
0: tragic backstory, maybe. <laughs> right. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, uh, I, I bet when I was in high school, you know, long ago before the last great ice age, um, <laughs> I was all, I was always nice to the quiet girls, you know, <laughs> you know, I was all, because I, I didn't want to find myself in the, in the wrong side of like, a um, you know, a Brian De Palma Carey situation, Right.
1: Yeah, it's and uh, you know obviously those girls have never seen uh, a horror movie or uh, or anything like that. Like clearly you don't take the kid with the tragic backstory to become their
0: enemy. Right, exactly. So, um, so uh, now that the the synopsis jumps around a little bit here. So, uh, Iris absorbs, attempts to absorb Ayana into a cocoon. In the process of its growth, this is completely gross. Yeah, uh, oh. the girl's classmate, which is Marie Bay. Manages to free her from Iris' cocoon, but Iris leaves its lair and kills half of the village population, subsequently growing into its adult form. The military, the JSDF, attempts to destroy it, but fails. So a couple of things there. So yeah, so Iris is very kind of cute and almost Pokemon-ish, I think, as an infant. You know? It's got it's all it's all done with puppetry and a little bit of CG for the tentacles when it's when it's young. Um, then it gets to kind of that intermediate form. And it's, again, it's a mix of a full scale puppet and CGI. I'm always impressed at how good the CGI looks for one, for the budget this was made on and two being made in Japan in 1999.
1: Yeah. It it holds up really well. I mean, there, there are some, you know, like the, 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 the age shows through here and there, but for the most part, especially the practical effects and the, because I think they made, they made a, a choice to limit the CGI to, like, places where it made sense. Right. And so it, it enhances the, the physical props rather than replacing them entirely for, for the most part. But it, right. I mean, it, it looks great, and uh, especially the, the scenes in the forest where, you know, when, just before he, he, uh, he tries to absorb her and then during that process look, look amazing.
0: Yeah, and and it's very you know we both mentioned anime a few times, the, specifically the visuals of Iris wrapping its his tentacles all around Ayana, really made me think of an anime. You know, really made me think of it specifically like Ghost in the Shell and Evangelion. You know, that kind of the way that it was shot, just the way that the scene is blocked out, had a definite sort of anime look to it, and and I'm okay with it wearing that influence on its sleeve right i mean this that is that's part of the same pop culture that that's informing all this it's just it's it's just to me it's still very neat seeing something like that in live action and it and it looks like yeah that could have just as easily been done in an animated form
1: well and i mean being made in the late 90s in japan it would have been a herculean effort to not be influenced by those by especially those oh of course so yeah uh, i mean uh, they they did it. It worked well, and uh, you know it's just a, it's just amazing that it still works. You know after yeah. after oh god twenty three years.
0: <sighs> That's you so. Mean, I'm going
1: to throw myself onto an iceberg, so I'm no longer a drain on the on the village.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I saw the I saw a thing earlier today. It's like, uh, um, you know, when, when apparently the, the Gen Zers refer to the '90s as the late uh, the late 1900s. That's how they refer to it. And it it, it it and this person posted. it said, yeah, they, they learned that, and now they feel like they drank from the wrong chalice in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I was. <laughs> uh, there, there's a YouTuber I follow who does a lot of uh, like he focuses on like retro uh, cameras, like camcorders and, and and professional recording equipment. And he mentioned yep. that the camcorder that he had was from the turn of the century. And my first my first thought was they didn't have camcorders in that. Mm-hmm. 1905 that's crazy <laughs> oh no he means the 2000s and uh, I, I'm pretty sure that um, that uh, I should probably go to the doctor about my arthritis now
0: yes yep The other, you want to know something else that made you feel old the your one of your favorites and one of my favorites the Sega Dreamcast presented as cutting edge technology in this film
1: uh, yeah I, I wrote that down in fact in my notes it just says Dreamcast exclamation um, point
0: yeah I I kid you not, I have the exact same note.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and I was thinking about the timeline on this, because this movie came out in 99. So they're probably filming in 98, and the the Dreamcast came out in Japan in 98. So it would have been cutting-edge technology. Like Even maybe a lot of Japanese people might not have seen a Dreamcast at that point.
0: Right, and the Dreamcast... If I'm now, you're 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 more of an expert on video game history. So if I if I misspeak, please correct me. But the Dreamcast was a much bigger deal in Japan than it ended up being in the United States. Is that correct?
1: Oh yeah, it sold gangbusters in the in the in Japan, um, uh, and it actually kept going because I think in the U.S. it lasted from about uh, like ninety nine, like late ninety nine to early two thousand one, so only about a year and a half. But in Japan, they were still making games for the Dreamcast until uh, like two thousand eight or so. Wow. So, like it was, it was, a, it was a big deal there, even in the same, you know, at the same time with the PlayStation two, which just utterly took over in the, in, in North America. Um, it was, that was also very popular in Japan, but for, for whatever reason that the Japanese just really flocked to the Dreamcast, and So, um, it would have, mm. uh, I, I had a feeling that maybe Sega threw him a few bucks in this movie <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to feature it prominently, but it worked, you know, like uh, that would have been, you know, amazing to an audience in 1991.
0: oh yeah i mean and and i believe there was a gamma vmu a special edition gamma vmu that came out for the dreamcast as a tie-in to this film
1: there there might be uh, there there is definitely a king Ghidorah uh vmu because I, I have that one
0: right uh, i've seen that one in in your yeah. house so i know that one exists
1: <laughs> but uh it, it, and i know there are others in a similar vein but it's specifically a gamma one i'm not sure I'm, i'll actually have to look that up because if it exists i need it
0: right of course of course uh but uh so um iris iris we're gonna go back and forth uh, uh iris flies towards the city of kyoto which thanks to futurama i know is the anagram lovers tokyo um, where uh, ayana has been taken by azakura and karada with azakura deliberately trying to use the girl to summon iris well in route Iris attempts to kill two pilots for the JASDF, but is intercepted in mid-flight by Gamera, and the two engage in an aerial battle. The pilots, under instruction to destroy Gamera, should he reappear, force Gamera to descend with a tactical missile strike, and inadvertently allowing Iris to escape. So, um, yeah, so, you know, again, again, this is kind of jumping around a bit, but after she's absorbed in the, in the uh, cocoon, uh Ayana is kind of out of it because you know so much of her like her you know spirit or life force or however you want to read it is now with Iris but uh Azakura and Karata take her to Kyoto they're trying to draw um draw uh, Iris and Gamera there because they want to use Iris to kill Gamera because they believe that Iris is the I think it's the guardian of the south and Gamera is a guardian of the North, and so they believe Gamera to be a threat, so they're going to draw him there to kill him because of their belief that it's actually the Gauss are supposed to kill off the human race to restore balance to the Earth. Which, again, and just reading it, even reading it like that, it sounds like an anime plot, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Um, it, it, it definitely sounds like something where uh, there's going to be a lot of a filler episodes where they're like uh, they're they're transporting her from the hospital to Kyoto. <laughs> <Just> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. You can, you can sort of just plot it, plot it, plot the whole thing out in your in your head. Yeah. Um. And one thing I had noted uh, about the hospital because um, Mayumi and Asagi go to the hospital to try and find Ayami Ayana, and the doctor hands them this paperwork that says that they took her to Kyoto. And my, my, my thought was, well, it was very nice of these kidnappers to fill out their kidnapping paperwork accurately. Yes. And like, I, I'm pretty sure you're, like, even in Japan, you're not allowed to just uh, check a minor out of the hospital if you're not, if you don't, if you're not like a family member or something. So uh,
2: yeah.
1: the fact that uh, these people illegally took her out of the hospital, but were kind enough to know where they took her was, was very
0: convenient for everybody. But it's very polite also, right? Yeah. So, you know, they're they're <laughs> I mean, being was, they're being very hospitable kidnappers.
1: It would just be I mean, kidnap someone and not tell
0: tell them where you're going. <laughs> of course. And and you can sort you can sort of see it's like, it's okay, we work for the government. You know, yeah. because that's, it, it. I mean, at this point, I don't know if it's as trendy to have a healthy, dis, a cynical distrust of your government in Japan as it as it would have been in the U.S. in 1999, you know. <laughs> because, uh, you know, especially in a Daikaiju film, you say, oh, I work for the government, that means that you're a good guy. In, in the U.S., you say, I work for the government, that makes you a bad guy. Yeah. Well,
1: and, <laughs> and, and in this movie especially, the, the government does not, uh, does not come out looking very, very well at all. So, you know, maybe yeah. it's... Uh, Maybe, uh, maybe it was, uh, there were some sentences in there uh, in Japan in
0: 99 too. I mean, you do see that occasionally, you know, uh, Jay and I, we talked about uh, Godzilla's Hedra a while back, and that film is not kind to the government either. It really portray- yeah. it portrays the military and the government as ineffectual and bumbling. And you know, we, we mentioned at the top of the, uh, earlier in the show, you know, uh, that Shinji Higuchi went on to direct Shin Godzilla, another kind of I think indictment might be the right word of the of the Japanese government, right, and the the handling of a crisis situation.
1: Yeah, um, it's. I know that um, it is again more common in the U.S. sort of to, to do that sort of thing, but there have actually been you know now that I think about it, more than a few Japanese movies, uh, and uh, yeah, you you may have mentioned it. I'm sorry, but uh, like the, the the Shin Godzilla. Um, yes very recently was also had a, had a lot of uh, unkind things to say about the Japanese government. So it may be, right. maybe more common than I was thinking.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's what I was saying is that, you know, um, Higuchi doing the effects here goes and co-directs Shin Godzilla, you know, um, what, uh, like almost 20 years down the road from, from this, 15, 20, whatever you have many years down the road from this. And, you know, I think it goes to, and it, and this. I mean, I'm just kind of uh, freestyling here. And if you're making a fictional film, it's a little bit easier to take to take you know take air those grievances at the government, right? Because it's not it's got that layer of separation. It's that yeah. allegorical version.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, a more recent example would be uh, Persona Five, where there was a lot of uh, a lot of swipes taken at uh, um, you know the uh, the idea in, in Japania yeah, that sh- that your elders are, are wiser and you should respect them no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. and that, uh, and that authority figures are, are all, have your best interest at heart. Uh, but it was presented in a, in a, in a game where, you know, one of your party members is a talking cat. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, you've got, you've got, again, you got that layer of fantasy in between the, uh, the criticism and the, in reality.
0: For sure, sure. Uh, the other thing in the note here is we get the dogfight between Iris and the JSDF, which is enjoined by Gamera. Um, yeah, this looks amazing. I mean, this whole sequence is, is so well done. And you're talking about the effects really holding up. I put this up against any, any other monster dogfight scene ever filmed. And this one is, is one of the best. And part of that is, again, it's the, it's a nice mix of, of physical effects and and CG when we need it. But Mm -hmm. even just the way it's directed and shot, it's, it's just a well done dogfight. And you, you know, it's, and there's tension there because again, the, 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 narrative is saying that no, Iris isn't the threat. This unknown monster isn't a threat. It's Gamma. That's the threat. And we, you know, we understand as the audience that no Gamma is not really a threat. We know that Iris is the real threat, but you know, it's, it's the old Hitchcock thing, right? No, we, we know more than the people in the, uh, the audience knows more than the characters do in this situation but yeah I've, I really enjoyed this one and this this looks so nice I must say even on the on the blu-ray this really does look sharp all these after all these years oh
1: yeah uh, I was especially uh, I, I thought it was very clever that uh, there, there's one point where um, where iris uh, gets a laser beam through uh, through Gamera's shell and starts bleeding and then the, like the blood like splatters onto the camera mm-hmm uh from like the perspective of the audience i thought that was really cool um and but it's again it, it, like you were saying it, it looks great especially on the blu-rays uh which uh which is how i watched how i watched it recently uh that that arrow set that came out a few years ago which is right beautiful if if anybody hasn't uh, hasn't picked that up i'm not even sure, i don't know if it's still in print but it's uh it's
0: yeah know. um the yeah, the 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 big Arrow box is not in print, but uh, they do have a, a Heysay collection, which is mm. just a smaller, not not the oversized box, but it does have the Blu-rays of the four Heisei films on it. So it's the same discs like is in the the big box. So you can still get them. Um, yeah, that the thing watching it this time, where my mind jumped was, you know, there's a there's a the scene in Godzilla King of the Monsters with Rodan and Monarch and King Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. Where it's again kind of similar in that sense, in that you've got multiple parties and, and it, it really is a, a dogfight, and it's like and again, th- but this is like, that that's literally twenty years after this, and they're they're very similar in a lot of ways. So it, this is a very modern sort of uh, of way to handle this scene. So I, I really did appreciate that. Uh, okay, so Nagamine and Asagi, who we mentioned, that's the girl once psychically linked with Gamera, Retrieve Ayana from in Kyoto and attempt unsuccessfully to get her out of Kyoto. Um, Karada speculates that Gamera was engineered as humanity's guardian and, as such, is a vessel capable of being charged with humanity's collective mana and expresses the belief, therefore, that Iris had been deliberately created to defeat Gamera so the Gauss could wipe out the human race. Naganme and Sagi theorize that the mana theory explains where Gamera got the energy he used to defeat the legion mother um or legion queen i guess depending on whether you're watching the the japanese or the or the english um so they're in kyoto uh one thing i i I did like about this the character of osako who was the inspector in the first film then became the night watchman at the uh the beer brewery in the second film, which is attacked by the Legion soldiers yeah, yeah. and all the okay. glass is eaten, he is I now living on the street it. selling yeah. magazines. Yeah. <laughs> because he has his whole life has basically fallen apart because of monsters. Um, I do like that, even though he has kind of a tragic little story that he does. Uh, you know, he goes and um, uh, uh, joins with Mayumi to to help investigate, but he's still the same type of pseudo comic relief cowardly character he is in the first movie. So I, I did like that we we got Osako back that we didn't need him in there, you know he's primarily with Maribe he's he's useful for getting Maribe to Kyoto for the finale, for the finale, uh, but I did like seeing Osako because he is a favorite.
1: Yeah, I mean the poor guy has been through so much. Um, it's it's nice to see him be able to, you know, like she you know she um, uh, Mayumi talks you know kind of talks him into, the you know. Coming back into the fight, so to speak, uh, he gets a couple of good scenes. So yeah, it's, it's nice that he that he um, we get some follow up from him, and he gets uh, he gets uh, he gets to be a, a hero again, mm-hmm. and hopefully next hopefully he uh, moves to a city somewhere far far away where there are no more monsters, and uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't ever have to go through this again.
0: Yes, the um, yeah so the whole bit with uh the the theory about the the environment changing and the mana. And that's the reason why the Gauss have come back. So I I did like that we did tie it into an environmental theme. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been so prevalent in the Daikaiju genre since the 1970s, to have the environmental theme. Still obviously relevant in 99, as it is relevant today. Um, But I did like also that, again, this, this idea of using the mana, the energy, from humanity. And that was how Gamera was able to defeat Legion in the last film. If you remember at the last film, he, Gamera was laid low and it was thought to be dead. And it was the children praying over him that it's not explained as such, but it, it, it's, that causes all the mana, all the energy from humanity to not only revive him, but give him the power to, you know, have the shell open up and do the big hyper beam and all that. Um, you know, again, we, you, and you made reference to this Gamera as, you know, the friend to all children and Gamma here as the guardian of the universe I, I, I do like that connection. Right. And, mm-hmm. and this was played with a little bit a few years earlier in Godzilla vs. Mothra from 92. The idea of of Mothra being the guardian of humanity and Baxra being the guardian of the earth and that they don't always uh, operate to the same ends. But I, here I think it works better and And it suits the character of gamma. you know the that's always the joke is that you know, gamma really is uh, lawful good, right? Whereas Godzilla' is kind of, you know somewhere between chaotic good and chaotic neutral sometimes yeah. <laughs> you know, or you know or, or uh, neutral evil, you know, depending on how you uh, you know how you how you interpret him, whereas gamma is lawful good. And so the idea that he gains his power from the support of the humans that he was engineered to protect, I think is a really nice development and and that it's essentially codified in this film. I thought was really nice. I
1: I did like that. And I also, I I liked, and um, maybe this was me making, uh, making some assumptions, but uh, like the implication that one of the reasons the Gauss are coming back just in in such huge numbers is that is, is just how much of the mana that Gamera used up in the last movie. Mm -hmm. Like there's just, there, 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 you know, what what humanity was doing to the the environment around Japan was already reducing the amount that was available, but then he ended up using up so much of it when he did to defeat Legion that now now we've got all of these uh you know the the, the, the antibodies you know coming in to try and uh, to try and you know cut
0: out the damage. Hmm. Yeah. Oh no. I, I, I agree. That that's there for sure, and it's 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 one of the things that I. I was recording with Professor Allen and uh, Billy D on uh, mo- um, magazines of monsters a few weeks ago, and I mentioned that we were going to be covering this, and Billy D had never seen it, and he's a monster guy, but he had not seen any of the uh, modern cameras And I, you know, it's so I was explaining to him, it's like, oh yeah, it's like the, you know, I was giving him some of the the the, the over like the the ten thousand foot view stuff, and he was kind of floored by that. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of There's a lot of, of not just story, but also allegory and some deeper themes in these films that, you know, um, Kaneko and Ito really draw out. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why they are so beloved. Yes, it's Gamera and everybody likes Gamera. Yes, from a technical standpoint, they really are quite impressive. But all of that wouldn't necessarily amount to the lasting appeal if the story didn't grab you, right? And didn't have layers to it. And that, you know, the, the idea of the, uh, of, like I said, of, of the way that the mana works and how that impacts, you know, Gamera def- defending all of us from Legion is what leads him to be in this shape in this one and being under assault pretty much from all sides um, uh, throughout the story here is, yeah, that absolutely is a, is, is a great aspect of this. And, and it just—it's just one of the things that just works. You know, a good story will hold up. You know, even if it's—even if it's a little dated, even if it's a little, you know, uh, not quite as modern. If the, the, the bones of a good story will always hold up.
1: Well, and I know that I preach to the choir, especially on this show. Uh, yes. But you know, a lot of people take these monster movies as you know just like dumb popcorn movies. Oh, look, Godzilla, stomping through Tokyo again. But you know, if you actually take the time. To pay attention and invest in the movies, there's a lot of there there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- not all of them, obviously. Right. Um, you know, like uh, I-, I ended up watching Gamma the Brave after this because I, you know, it's it's part of that, that Arrow set, and I had a yeah. couple extra hours. And with that one, it-, it you know it doesn't it doesn't work so work quite as well. You know, my 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 daughter yeah. really enjoyed it. Uh, but, and it was technically impressive, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this level of, you know, storytelling and, 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 and and everything. Um, uh, right. but yeah, a lot, a lot of these, a lot of these movies, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of substance if you, if mm-hmm. you actually
0: give it a chance. For sure. So the two monsters meet at Kyoto station and continue their fight, but Iris easily gains the upper hand, impaling Gamera and leaving him for dead. Iris and absorbs Ayana, killing Asakura and Karata in the process. Uh, just an aside, you, again, you mentioned Karada as a '90s anime villain. The way he dies is so '90s anime villain, making a quip about his own death. Yeah, he
1: he 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 uh, he, he gets a one liner out and then gets crushed by the uh, by, by a by a girder. So, you know. Yes. Yeah.
0: Perfect. I, I <laughs> love i love the set of kyoto station kyoto station first off it's as a building it's quite impressive but then the set that they build with Gamora and iris inside of it is so so nice it's such a great set piece it's one of the ones i always think of from these films you know some of the images that that, that always stick with me the two of them inside this massive train station um, especially in Kyoto, which is a city more people think of, I think for the temples and the really old buildings there, this ultra modern, um, you know, uh, edifice of, of glass and steel in Kyoto getting, you know, in destroyed and burning to the ground is, uh, I, I, I to me, it's really striking.
1: Well, and, and I was just very impressed, um, by the, by the, you know, cause that, that building is very intricate, you know, it's got the, uh, the, 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 the almost like sculpture, uh, like metalwork on the outside. Mm-hmm. And it must've, it must've taken somebody ages uh, to, to put that together. And then, you know, of course at the end, they blow it up. So, right. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's, but that must've been, it's just like, just, just incredible. They managed to, uh, to get a level of detail in a, in a set like that. And mm-hmm. then, and <laughs> I'm sure that, I'm sure that guy must've uh, not been looking forward to the day where they blow it up, but, yeah. but it, it was just great.
0: You just you just see some poor Daikaiju Otaku inside. You blew it up. <laughs> Damn you all to hell. <laughs> I mean, but, but
1: we did tell you we were going to do that when we when we when we told you to make it. I know, I know. But yeah. still,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if that brings about a sense of almost acceptance, right? That you can, no matter how intricate your models are when you're done, they are ultimately going to be destroyed, right? Yeah. It's it's almost a sort of Buddhist approach right? <laughs> yeah
1: um, when uh, when we were at Clemson uh, they they would they had some uh, some Buddhist monks come in and do one of those sand sculptures
0: yes I remember uh, that yeah yeah
1: and then and then at the end of it, it took them like a whole week of making this intricate like sand sculpture on a table and then they then they took it in the lake and destroyed it as a, like a metaphor for how all things must end yeah uh, it was it was it was amazing
0: oh yeah that, that was um... Little, We'll go a little inside baseball here. That was in the, the lobby at the library at the M.L. Uh, yeah. uh, Cooper Library, which is, for those who have never been to the M.L. Cooper Library at Clemson University, it's, it's a very large five-story library, and it's got a, a really big um, front um, atrium where you can uh, – there's a ton of light to it, and it's right opposite the reflecting pond. And, yeah, the, the monks were there for – it was about a week, and it was – you just saw it growing and growing, and it was fascinating to watch. And then yeah, it was just all thi- all things are transient in this world. So do not be attached to material things, you know. Um, I, I had a I had an airline guy tell me that when they lost my bag once, you know. <laughs> like, Don't be attached to material things. I'm like, oh okay. So do I get the orange robe here, or is there another desk I have to go to for that? But uh, anyway, um, so uh, okay, so uh, Iris absorbs or puts uh, draws Iana back into his body. And from within Iris's body, Ayanna experiences the creature's memories and realizes that her hatred and bitterness has motivated it. This, this is where it all, this, this is like your climax, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love that we get when she's in there, she starts seeing things from Iris's point of view. And the line is when we are seeing Iris killing the people in the village and draining them of all their bodily fluids, and leaving them just as like a, uh, like they look like a spirit Halloween corpse, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, did I kill them? And it's her, you know, you, you had talked about that, would any of this happen if she was shown kindness in, instead of cruelty? And now she's being awoken to her own, what she's caused, what her actions have caused. That her selfish actions have had, very real consequences for other people that she never meant to hurt, and I the 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 acting there. I mean, these again, it's it's hard sometimes, especially if you're watching the the dub. I mean, I watched the sub on this, but it's hard sometimes to even even the best performance in a Daikaiju film. A lot of times can be overshadowed by the Daikaiju, right? But mm-hmm. the performance here, you really feel for Ayana because again, it is it's it, you. You know it's 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 an old saying that I got from a James Bond movie when you set off for revenge first, you dig two graves. and yeah. so in her in her quest to get revenge on it for her family, revenge on camera, what has that wrought? What is she you know what what other consequences has she caused? and having her eyes metaphorically open to that is very powerful. Well
1: and, and I think it, 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 part of it goes back to you know they they, they, they say that teenagers uh, are really, really bad at long-term thinking, uh, that, you know, that just the part of their brain that understands long-term consequences for things aren't, aren't quite developed. Uh, because I'm sure, you know, her aunt and uncle were not kind to her and I'm sure she had a lot of bitterness and resentment to them and probably had a lot of, a lot of thoughts about, you know, what, what she wanted to happen to them, uh, you know, day to day. Uh, but, um, you know but her, her her cousin seemed to be really really kind to her um you know he helps her he helps her do research on uh, on iris and the and 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 camera there for a bit and you know they seem to have a pretty good relationship but her but her her desire for revenge on just a few people has condemned you know her whole remaining family basically including mm-hmm. including like the ones that you know didn't wrong her plus you know, uh, couple, several dozen innocent people to, to, to a horrible death. Right. And, and now she's sitting in the middle of a, you know, a, a wrecked train station being absorbed by a monster. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, obviously in real life, you can't really predict that kind of thing. You know, that's not, that's not an obvious consequence for your actions. But, mm-hmm. you know, just the, uh, the idea that she started off with this very small, personal... Need for revenge, and it ended up, you know, just blowing up into this world-ending uh, disaster. Right, uh, is is interesting to me.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I and you know, it's um, yeah. The see, I have I have a couple of teenagers now, and so I, I remember yeah. reading a uh, God that that's terrifying to say out loud just in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But um, <sighs> you know, when uh, and I remember reading a thing about, but you're talking about like brain development. And when you're a teenager, everything's big, right? Mm-hmm. Your feelings are big, you know. Your happy emotions are big. Your 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 negative emotions are big. This is the worst thing that's ever going to happen. This is the greatest thing that's ever going to happen. If only I, this happens, everything will be okay. And yeah, it's it's that you know it's it's that level of maturity that um, you know Iana was forced to take on. That she still, but she still is not there. Right. I mean, Alice Cooper said it, I'm a boy and I'm a man in, in the song, I'm 18, you know, you're, you're not, you're, you're, you're like an adult, but you're not like an adult, you know? And Mm. again, it's that maturity and the epiphany that she has here that brings about the, the, the turn in this film. And honestly, that, as much as anything else, I think is a re- one of the reasons why this film is as beloved as it is because there is redemption. That it's again, Gamera is still the friend to all children and the guardian of the universe. And Ayana has been forced to grow up, but she's still really just a kid. Mm-hmm. And and as we'll see in later in this scene, Gamera is still the friend to all children. And and you know that that is again, it's just such a. a to me, just a, a well-executed encapsulation of her character and his character, and and what you know, what what uh, Kaneko is trying to say with with these films.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, just as Ayana has her epiphany, Gamera plunges his hand deep into Iris's chest and wrenches the girl free. Mayumi and Asage, trapped within the train station wreckage. Watch helplessly as Iris impales Gamera's hand and begins to siphon off his blood, starting to create similar fireballs from his tentacles. Gamera blasts off his injured hand and absorbs Iris's fireballs, forming a fiery plasma fist, which he drives into Iris's wounded chest. Iris explodes, blowing the roof off of the crumbling train station, and oh my... You know, the thing is, is that in the last film, when he used the hyper beam to, and his shell opened up and all the energy poured out to uh, disintegrate the Legion mother, this, the burning fist, has be, gone on to become an absolutely iconic moment, not just for Gamera, but I think for all of the, the Heisei era of Daikaiju. And fans of a certain age, you know, that image of Gamera with the burning plasma fist, it is, it is a true classic.
1: Uh, That was incredible. And, and just the, um, and again, it's, it's, sometimes it's easy to forget that these are at the end of the day, like, you know, like guys in, in rubber suits, but just the, the, like the, the visceral feeling that you get from watching Gamera blow off his own hand. Like it was, it was brutal. Like it was hard to watch. Um, just like, and the special effects really sold that, you know, that this was a living creature who has just made, a really terrible choice. Uh, It was, Mm -hmm. but but a necessary one. Uh, And I I think it was incredible. They managed to like convey that in just, you know, 15 seconds of, uh, of the, of the movie. It was was crazy.
0: The combination of the suit acting and the effects all really come together here on both sides, Mm -hmm. you know, because we get suit acting, but then we also have the CG of the tentacles, which is, is very well executed, and the fireballs. When Gamra turns his wounded hand, because he's holding Ayana in his good hand, to block all the, the fireballs, it's a, a great bit, again, of suit acting that's enhanced by the effects. You know, my, my brother talks about this, uh, Jay talks about this all the time. There's nothing wrong with CG. CG just becomes another tool in the toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. And that you use the right tool for the job. And in this case, yes, we can do this much of it, traditional suitmation. We need to do this last bit of it with the CG and we'll make them and they work together really nicely to the point that, you know, the same year as this, we get uh, Godzilla, Godzilla Millennium, you know, would come over in 2000 as Godzilla 2000, of course, to the U.S. And the CG in that film um, doesn't hold up to this. You know, mm-hmm. Whether it's um, the scenes of Godzilla slimming or I think there's a little bit of CG with the Millennium and Orga um, towards the in the climax it doesn't hold up to this. It's it's not I don't want to say it's it's not done with care, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't it doesn't execute as well. So I, I, I think that, you know, it's 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 great to see that it's because I was a little concerned about that. Sometimes you revisit a film from the pre HD era in HD and you're like, okay, yeah, I can, you, you, it was, you, it's, what do you always say? Well, it was never intended to be seen at that level of definition. But <laughs> even on Blu-ray, this film still looks tremendous.
1: It does. And, and I was actually thinking of yet another movie that came out in 99, uh, which would have been The Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. where the, the, just the, the, the over-reliance on CG, just like the, the, the glee with which. Uh, you know george lucas replaced every single possible practical effect in the movie with cg at a time where it really wasn't ready for it um just kind of the the contrast there of you know the 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 suitmation with you know a light smattering of cg to uh to take care of the things that would be almost impossible practically like the tentacles uh as opposed to you know entire characters who don't exist Mm -hmm. in any form other than cg like with jar jar banks right uh, in the movie where it, it just that it just doesn't work. Like the, the, the sense of reality isn't there. So right. I think just a, a, an incredible job, uh, yeah. that, that you're right. It just, it, it holds up to this day. You know, I'm, I'm watching it on the Blu-ray on my, uh, on my, the big TV in the living room. And, uh, it still looks amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. One, one aside about the Phantom Menace, you know, what's funny is that my favorite effect in the Phantom Menace is a physical effect. When we see the establishing shots of the palace on Naboo, mm-hmm. and there are the waterfalls that are cascading, those waterfalls are made with salt. Huh. So that is actual salt falling off a model and filmed so that the salt, because it's white, it looks like the, the, the frothing of the water as it's, as it's falling. And mm-hmm. that, that looks realistic. And you're like, oh yeah, that's done with salt on a on a model kit. You're like, okay, that's that good job, IOM. You got me there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I had no idea, but I'll have, I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Although I don't, for obvious reasons, revisit the Phantom Menace terribly. I was going to
0: say, yeah, you're throwing on throwing on the Phantom Menace. I were were you I'm trying to remember? I, I don't remember what year it was. I've got, I think we both might have been at Clemson at the time. When uh, remember Channel One TigerNet? Yeah. Um, they, there was a time that they showed the Phantom Menace like 24 hours a day that you could put it on and you would just just have it on in the background because they, they had the license to show Phantom Menace on their you know, their, their local area cable broadcast uh, on, on campus. And it was just on endlessly. So at that point, I was watching a lot of Phantom Menace, but since then, probably not as much. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a few years ago, I went back and watched all of the, the Star Wars movies uh, uh, when the sequels were were in the works. But uh, yeah, yes. I think that's the last time I've watched Phantom Menace. Since I, I, I watched it once when I saw it in the theater and once yes. then. And I think those
0: are the, that's the only yes. time I've ever seen it. It's, uh, it's certainly, again, we know decisions were made. That's all we yeah. can say, but <laughs> that, that's the way to be diplomatic. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but before I become another star Wars podcast on, on two, True freaks, <laughs> let, let's, uh, let me digress. <laughs> uh, okay. So the comatose Ayana still clutched in his fist. Gamera sets the girl down where Mayumi and Asagi are hiding. The women are unable to revive her, but Gamera lets out a roar, and Ayana awakens. Gamora leaves with the girl wondering why he would save her life after all that she had done. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to go too far down this particular rabbit hole, but redemption exists for everyone, doesn't it? That um, there is... You know, it's it's a theme that does come up in, in uh, not just in, in science fiction, but or Japanese science fiction, but in a lot of different Japanese media that I've seen. The idea that that people do deserve a second chance, that mm-hmm. you can that, that yes, when making a mistake doesn't necessarily damn you forever. And uh, I like that I like that so much here. That again, much like you know, well, Ayana has her epiphany and Gamora protects her. Not only does he, you know, forgive her, he seemingly, the, the working theory, is that he gives her some of the mana that he has left to revive her. And that that is so, uh, to me, that that is just a good one, a great choice creatively from, you know, from, from Ito and, and Kaneko and the rest of the crew it also speaks to the i think in a lot of ways to not just gamma as a hero but like the idea of the monster hero or the mm-hmm. giant hero um do you remember we watched uh this was a while ago the first um oh uh, the first Ultraman zero movie mega monster battle um ultra galaxy with oh, the, with introduction of, yeah, the, the introduction of yeah the introduction of zero and belly all and all them
2: yeah.
0: where where zero is training and Derek uh, Derek Crabbe and I talked about this. Rosira was training, and he he you know throws himself in the way of an attack to save Pygmon, you know. And um, Leo says to him, "Well, you 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 saved a small life, and that was seen as a as a great choice for a giant hero to to you know create, sacrifice something to save a, a very small life." And that's what Gamera does here. He makes a sacrifice to save a, a small life and a life that nearly killed him. You know, uh, Ayana's actions and her uh, emotional state of being nearly killed Gamera, but he still not only forgives her, but, but revives her. It it's again, it gets a little metaphysical here. And I, for one, I'm I'm a big fan of this, this choice.
1: Yeah. And I, I do, I do like the idea that. That people make mistakes, especially kids. Um, and so. That death is not the solution to that problem.
2: Mm,
1: that yeah. uh, that you know, whatever mistakes that people have made in the past, that the the future is still unwritten, and so any life is one that's worth saving, uh, right. because you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't, uh, we don't know what they may or may not do, but that possibility is still there as long as, uh, as you know, as long as, as long as life is still there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Very. I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, I didn't, I didn't even think of along that route, but now as you were saying that one, it's, it's, it's very insightful Two, you know, Jay and I, had said in the last episode, we did Terra Mechagodzilla, where the crux of the story is that katsura takes her own life Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that you know she in that case knows that for the betterment of the world she has to take her own life and it's a very hard bit of story matter there and you're right i i I hadn't even thought along those lines but that certainly is um more fitting i think of the story that's being told across these three films and the the nature of the character of of that as as presented here in the heisei film so i, I appreciate you saying that. that that is a really good point
1: yeah um no, no worries so let's... oh no go ahead no go ahead oh, i was going to say um know, yeah, and, and we're presented with you know other characters that um you know w- without um oh, what was the what was the inspector's name
0: oh osaka
1: yeah with, without osaka um her the uh, the and, and I apologize I'm blanking on some names uh Marebe, yeah. um would not have been able to get into the train station and he would not have been able to uh you know it was him throwing the uh like trying to trying to save uh, Ayana and and well it looked like he had died because of it that you know contributed to Ayana's epiphany mm-hmm. and you know if that you know uh drunk you know houseless person hadn't been uh, had had uh, had died in one of the previous movies that wouldn't have been possible and you know we've right. got the, like the the some other characters from the uh, from the movie who are also you know making like putting all of these uh, uh these these uh the sorry i'm moving my my train of thought here that are like, right seeding C- 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 every- of crumbs to get to yeah to get and the everything and, and
0: everything everything ties back you know there's yeah. nothing the, the the stories you know because uh, uh asagi comes back you know and miyumi comes back and osako comes back so there is there is a, uh, a closure a sense of closure to all this which is funny given what's going to happen in the balance of the film here <laughs> yeah you know um and speaking of which so with with iris defeated a swarm of gauss thousands strong, begins to descend on Japan, intent on destroying their greatest foe once and for all. Military leaders finally realize that Gamera is on the side of humanity and pledge to fight the Gauss alongside of him. Asagi says that although she does not share a psychic link with Gamera anymore, she knows he will not back down and will fight until the end. As the swarm of Gauss approach, Gamera lets out a final roar of defiance as he stands his ground in the center of a blazing city and we are treated to the title card the absolute guardian of the universe. And this scene, this is why the film was originally referred to as uh, incomplete struggle. The idea that the story itself is not resolved, that it's this incomplete battle at the end. Um, but you know it's it's that heroic last stand, right? It's the uh, it's the lone swordsman against the army of bandits it's you know whatever you know uh you know you you guys go ahead i'll i'll i'll, I'll hold them off you know it's that trope and it's I, I i i in one sense would it have been really cool to see Gamera fight all this flock of gauss yes but the other time it's like you know that he's just badass enough to pull all this off and it, it no matter how badass it would have been on screen it's always more badass in your head
1: exactly it's like uh, the end of uh, butch cassidy and the sundance
0: kids yes. Yeah, there uh, you go. With the, with
1: the Bolivian army, it's like, yo, <laughs> I mean, it, things aren't looking great, but yeah, you know, our, our our heroes got a few more tricks up his sleeve. And yeah. uh, but I, when I first saw this movie, I was so mad at that ending. And I was like, oh, there's 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 there's, there's a fourth movie, right? You know, like I'm <laughs> going to be able to find out how, how how this ended. Oh no. Okay.
0: Well, I guess that's just what I'm going to have to live with from now on. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is that, um, according to uh, Canico, and th- I'm taking this directly from Wizilla. According to Canico, if the film had reached its target gross of one billion yen. Um, they were planning to produce a fourth film, but the film grossed about six hundred million yen, and um, that was not high enough for um, f- for the, the the studio to give the nod to produce the fourth film. And that, that so, is a shame.
1: Wasn't there some kind of fan project that? Yes. Uh,
0: yeah, yes, I, so, I, I haven't uh, seen it, but
1: I've heard it
0: exists. Most people have not seen it. So, um, uh, Shinpei Hayashiya, who you uh, listeners to this show will remember, was the uh, the main creative force between behind um, uh, uh, Raigo, uh, God of the Sea Monsters, or excuse me, Raigo, God of the Sea Monsters, Raiga, God of the Monsters, and uh, God Raiga versus King Oga. He made a film called Gamera 4 Truth, which dealt with that, uh, the ending of that, and then went off and spun off and told its own story as well. Um, that film does, it featured, I'm trying to remember the details. I want to say that Gamera does not survive the battle with the Gauss, but a new Gamera is born that does defeat the Gauss, including the albino Gauss, who's like the head, head Gauss of the film. Yeah, that, that fan film has not ever been released. It's been shown at festivals and a few other screenings like that. Um, there was some hope that after both the Arrow uh, Gamera box set and then Hayashia's other three films coming out from SRS that we might that might see light of day. I don't think it's going to happen. Unfortunately, if it, if it was going to happen, I think it might have happened already. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, there there is that Gamera truth one out there. And uh, I know John LeMay talks about it in. Uh, one the lost Tokusatsu films. One of his uh, one of his books. He has a, a lot of information on it as well. And of course, John Lemay's books are super recommended to begin with. But uh, yeah, I I, I mean, I, I I'm right there with you. I mean, it is frustrating in a sense, but at the same time, you know, it's also it, it's camera going out, and you know, it's like Asagi says, he'll he'll fight to the end. You know, he we've we've seen his resolve. We've seen that even though there is no Connection there's no more. Uh, the the amulet is not there anymore for Asagi. He still has his connection to humanity, and will do everything to defend us. So you know he goes yeah. out the hero, one hundred percent.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's
0: gonna he's gonna uh, he will not be
1: found lacking uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's Gamora three, Revenge of Iris. I don't think uh, I'm burying the lead here when I said that I really enjoyed this movie. So, uh, what, what did you think, Adam?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, um, it was like there, there's a reason that I that I wanted to uh, to come in for this particular movie. I mean, other than my habit of coming in for the la- the, the last in a series, since we also did Final yes. Wars. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, again, like I was saying before, I didn't have any idea that these films even existed until. Uh, you know and, and again i hope you're happy uh until yes. i started getting yeah. more into tokusatsu and, and and kaiju movies you know like what five ten years ago at this point got it. are it's all blending together yes <laughs> in the in the before times before the <laughs> pandemic uh many many years before that um and you know i picked up the i picked up the dvds because i remember gamma from mst3k and uh, i was like oh yeah i want to see what the newer movies look like and you know i, I yeah, I like the first two, you know, they're, they're, they're great. Uh, but this one was just, it was, you know, it was intense. It was emotional. It was dark. And, you know, it's, just, it's hard to describe, you know, going from those first, you know, the show at Gamera films uh, to this one, especially. Um, right. And then of course, if you follow it up with Gamera, the brave straight back to, uh, to the, to the more, uh, the more lighthearted side, but it was just, you know, the, the visual effects, the plot, the, you know, the acting and it can be hard when you're, you're watching a movie in a language you don't understand Mm -hmm. uh, for the acting to really come through, but it did. Uh, It's just, uh, it's, you know, it's the full package uh, for the, for this type of movie. And uh, uh, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad I had an excuse to watch it again. Now that you need one.
0: But. yeah absolutely yeah it always always is helpful when you can say well hey i gotta watch this you know it's like i'm not i'm totally not just watching it because i want to yeah um and yeah the the thing about revenge of iris even compared to like i said that the two other you know guardian of the universe and uh, attack of legion advent of legion are, are superlative movies mm-hmm. this one by going though they're those are both science fiction films no question about it i mean attack of legion is like the to me like the ultimate science fiction film. That's also a Daikaiju film, right? Mm-hmm. This one is not a science fiction film. This one is much more. Like I said, it has a much more of a, of a supernatural, spiritualist side to it, which makes it so unique among the Gamera pantheon of films, Showa and Heisei. And again, to go in that direction where we bring in the mythology, we bring in the the, the power of legend. And um, and and in that film, as a as as a as a changing of course from the first two, it it in one sense it's a risk, right? Because you've got mm-hmm. the an established pattern that's working. But by taking that risk, it just stands out that much more. And as you say, it's a great capper to the trilogy. It it um you know it it ties a, a bow on a lot of the characters. A lot of the same characters have come back. And Gamera, we've seen his growth. And we now, there. Like I said, that title at the end, the absolute Guardian of the Universe, there is no question anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it, even though a lot of people in this film doubt him, no one can doubt him at this point, and he cannot be denied. And, you know, I, I think, again, that Guardian of the Universe did a lot a lot for Gamera, especially here in the West. This film, I think, solidified it, and now that's why we have the arguments of, well, you know, Gamera really is a better monster than Godzilla that you'll see (laughs) argued on online and stuff. And I think it's, obviously, it's these three films, but I think this one in particular fuels a lot of that. So, um, if you would like to watch Gamera 3 Revenge of Eras, you are in luck, because it's not like it was back in the 90s, or in, like, 2000, when... Your best bet was to find, like I said, a a, a bootleg of a Japanese VHS tape or laser disc. Uh, So there's a bunch of different ways you can get this. It is available on single Blu-ray disc from Mill Creek. Uh, It is also in the Gamera Legacy Collection from Mill Creek. That's an 11-film set. So it has the Showa films and these three Heisei films. It does not include Gamera the Brave in that set. Um, You can also get the Gamera Heisei Collection from Arrow. which, As I said, that is... Um, the same discs that are in the the big Arrow box, but it doesn't have the book and it doesn't have uh, the comic collection, and obviously it doesn't have the Showa films in it. But it does if you just want to, and that one is a normal size, like a Blu-ray DVD box set, so it's not not the oversized one. So that's out there. All of those are available on Amazon, and so they're all out there and available. There there are some older uh, versions that are out of print, but you may be able to find secondhand. Additionally. Uh, it can be watched on Prime Video, so it's on Amazon Prime Video for rent or purchase. Uh, it can be rented on YouTube TV. I've never rented anything on YouTube, so I don't know how well that that particularly works. But I see it on there. And um, if you're really cheap, you know, like me, you can watch it for free with commercials on Tubi TV, along with the the other two in the series. Now, I did want to mention this. Um, I'm not sure about the one on YouTube, but the one on Tubi TV is actually in Japanese with subtitles. So you're not even going to have to deal with the dub. If you don't want the dub, you can watch the, the, uh, the, you know, straight up Japanese with subs version of Revenge of Iris for free on Tubi TV. So that that's out there if you want to give this film a whirl. Uh, but, I mean, honestly, if, if you're listening to, I mean, this is episode 109, I think, of Earth Destruction Directive. If you're listening here, you're probably already a Gamera fan, and you you're probably just gonna want to get it. I would say.
1: Yeah, and, and I I will say that uh, like you know, like we were talking about that that big arrow set is out of print, but if you can find it anywhere uh, for a reasonable price, it is really incredible. Um, you know, you got you got yeah. all the movies in like a like a folio hardbound like book style, you know, set of DVDs plus. The comic collection and then the, uh, the the book about the history of gamma and everything. It's just, it, mm-hmm. it's great.
0: Yeah. The The other thing in there, which is, it kind of flew under the radar in that set, but I think people are starting to realize it. Um, around the time of Guardian of the Universe, Dark Horse published a four-issue Gamera miniseries. Mm-hmm. And that is collected in that box. And that's never been reprinted anywhere else in the West. So... That alone, that's going to be covered at some point here on the show when I, you know, when I run out of other Gamera content, we're going <laughs> to cover that mini-series. And it's like, it's all thanks to Arrow, you know, go into Dark Horse and say, hey, can we license this to reprint it? And uh, Dark Horse is saying, we did a Gamera book? And it's like, yeah, okay. So, it's like, but, uh, $5. Yeah, so yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, after trying five times to explain it to dad, I explained it to mom and we were on our way. But, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Between that and the Criterion Godzilla, I have the two of them right next to each other and it just it just what a world we live in, you know? Yeah. What a world we live in.
1: <laughs> I really do need to pick up that Criterion collection. I it's it's one of those things that, you know, every time I think about it, uh it's like, ah, but you know, it's, it's I think it's like 150 bucks on Amazon and it's definitely worth it. But it's like, yeah. oh, do I have that to spare right this second and then you know by the time I think of it again. Right. Yeah.
0: But one of these days. Yeah, that's one of these days. Uh, okay, well, that that is is what we've got for uh, for Gamera 3. Uh, I throw it now to you, the listener. What do you think? Are you a Gamera fan? Did you like uh, the Heisei series? Did you prefer the Showa series? Did you Were you around watching this on Raw VHS in uh, the year 2000, like I was? Or did you discover it la- uh, you know, later on uh, when it was... Uh, uh, being released on DVD and such like, like Adam did. Please, Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com. Uh, please write me in and let me know. You can also, of course, find Earth Destruction Directive on Facebook. You can find me at El Giacone on Twitter. You can find Earth Destruction Directive on YouTube. Uh, I've had a lot of guests on the last few episodes, so I haven't been able to cover the feedback. I do want to give a major shout-out to all the feedbackers on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, and uh, it is very much appreciated. I normally... Uh, would would read off all the feedbackers. I try not to do that with a guest because that's that's kind of boring for the guest as I just read through all these <laughs> names. Uh, but I, I absolutely want everyone to know that I do appreciate all the likes, all the retweets, all the shares, you know, doing a podcast. It's an absolute labor of love. and getting that uh, that validation that the listeners out there are enjoying it. That is a major part of the reason why uh, why I keep doing this. I mean, between that and the money, I mean that those are the two <laughs> main reasons, you know. Yeah, I know um, you're rolling, rolling the other that thing podcast I'd like, money. <laughs> that podcast green, baby. But uh, uh, the other thing I'd, uh, I'd I'd like just to point out is that, of course, uh, Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are interested or a fan of Japanese giant monsters, you are free to be a part of the show and interact with the show in any way that you feel comfortable. Uh, I don't believe in the gatekeeping the Daikaiju fandom. I don't believe in being an elitist. Uh, you know, if, if you're a, a new fan, a lapsed fan, an old fan, everybody's welcome here. Uh, so please, please feel free. Don't don't think that, you know, oh, I, I've just started watching Gamera. I can't possibly be involved with these guys. Now, everybody starts somewhere. You know, Adam, Adam, you were referring to it. I mean, your journey into tokusatsu happened quite by accident.
1: And <laughs> yeah, my, my, one, one of these days, my wife may forgive you.
0: Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, we all, we all have our crosses that we have to bear in this world. Right. So, uh, and, uh, and I guess, I guess, shout out to, uh, the two man power trip podcast because of the timing of when we're recording this. All I have to say is what is going on. So shout out to jungle fury. You know, we need to have our, <laughs> uh, our brain 100% engaged at all times. Uh, so, uh, but most of all, I need to thank you, Adam. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today and uh, talking about Gamera. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Well, you're very welcome. It's always a pleasure to be on the show and, uh, and talk about these ridiculous things. Uh, I mean, my, my family had recently took a trip to, uh, over to Europe, and we visited a uh, turtle and tortoise uh, preserve in Corsica. And they had one of those giant Galapagos turtles. And, uh, the whole time I was like, oh man, uh, it, 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 I, 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 I swear to God, I, 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 was expecting it to like retreat into a shell and like jets to come out of the side and start spinning <laughs> up into the air. And, you know, this, this is how my brain works now.
0: Yeah. If, if only, um, I, uh, I do want to give you the opportunity. I don't know. Do you have anything you want to plug or any appearances or anything you want to give a shout out for?
1: Uh, I'm currently not, I, I don't have any any projects right now. Uh, I did recently become a full-time stay-at-home dad. So I am looking at possibly, um, you know, like a, a podcast or a YouTube channel at, at some point. But I have, I have not uh, decided on what it would be or, or, or what form it will take. But, uh, but uh, I am around on the, uh, on the social medias and the internets if, uh, if anybody uh, is interested in, uh, in my opinion on anything.
0: Yep. And I will definitely be tagging you on the, the the social media for the episode. So everyone can, can seek out my, uh, my friend, Adam, my fellow tiger alum, my fellow uh, Palmetto stater. As we, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we keep, you know, we, we keep things solid down here when it comes to uh, Tokusatsu. Um, and uh, again, thank you very much for coming on and thank you everyone for listening. And this now is a time we got to always, uh, you know, look forward and what's coming next. Well, we, uh, we're changing gears. We're moving from from movies to television. And if we're doing television, that's right. Usually it means Ultraman. And you would be correct, as we have the next two episodes of the original Ultraman series, episodes 30 and 31. Episode 30 features the monster Woo, a very memorable Woo! kind of uh, snow creature type of monster. Woo! And uh, episode 31 featuring the monster Coronia. So very much looking forward to that. I mean, hard to believe, thirty and thirty-one. We are on the home stretch of the original Ultraman because it's only thirty-nine episodes to that.
1: Well, that is Oh, man. I, I I was convinced it was more than that, but yeah, you're right. It's only you're yeah. you're, you're you're getting there towards the end.
0: Right, and, and uh, I mean, at, at some point, I'm gonna have to figure out. Okay, do we go straight on into Ultra Seven, or do we jump someplace else in the Ultra Ultra series?
1: Well, you're you're kind of spoiled for choice now, especially. Uh, um, you know, you've got all those shows, all those show and then they're still making, you know, Ultraman now. So, uh, oh,
0: yeah. if, if you do decide be, to move uh, somewhere
1: else in the series, you've got plenty of choices.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, the, the kids and I, we watched Ultraman Zet on YouTube. We watched Ultraman Trigger on YouTube and we just started this past week watching Ultraman Decker. So there is, there is plenty of, of ultra out there now, which really, it was always so, I don't want to say disappointing because I don't think it's the right word. It was always a little, um, you know, I guess maybe disappointing is the right word that during the the heyday of the fan subs, you know, Super Sentai and Kamen Rider owned the fan sub scene, right? Whether mm-hmm. it was TV Nahon or Overtime or, or whomever, that was the fan sub scene. And if you got an Ultra Series, it was more of an afterthought and it wasn't really the main thing. And then around the time that the fan subs started not being able to be the uh you know the the big item that they were is around the time that super Riot got their legal stuff sorted out and ultraman got e- exported to the west in a huge way oh yeah so now ultra is like the vanguard of tokusatsu television here in the west again and it's it's just amazing how things change sometimes
1: uh oh uh, uh a, a quick bit of news i'm not sure how relevant it'll, it'll be by the time the episode comes out but uh I recently saw that uh, the first episode of Common Rider Revise, which is the mm. new the the new Kamen Rider for this year, hasn't even appeared on TV yet. But it is available with English subtitles on uh, Toei's uh, YouTube channel.
0: Ah, very good. I I wonder if they'll continue with that because they did that they did that project where they put up like the first two episodes of a bunch of shows in, in with subs and then didn't sub the rest of them.
1: Yeah, that, um, I have not kept track uh, I have not been watching like any of the newer shows that they've been doing yes. that with, but I know like, yeah, a lot of their older shows, they put up the, the first couple episodes with English subtitles and then they did, they did upload the rest of them, but no subs. So
0: yeah, of, of limited value here for us, uh, English speakers in the West. Yeah. But, uh, hey, more more Kamen Rider is always a good thing. At some point, I'll have to see if I can find, I had it somewhere, a copy of Ultraman vs. Kamen Rider. Which oh, is, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a classic little OVL, well, not OVL. It was a, it was a direct-to-video uh, deal in Japan. And it does feature Kamen Rider growing giant to, to fight side-by-side side with Ultraman at the end. But uh, that that is another story. So, uh, <laughs> like Conan the Barbarian. All right, well, Adam, once again, thank you very much for helping me cover uh Gam- gamma revenge of Iris. uh everybody out there thank you very much for downloading and listening i hope you enjoyed the episode and i hope everybody will come back next time when we do ultraman episodes 30 and 31 so for mr adam tebow i'm luke jackanetti thank you for listening to earth destruction directive and until next time keep them stomping this has been earth destruction directive a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2 truefreaks.com You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook, just search for first name Luke, last name E-D-D. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter, just search for the handle at LJACONE, that's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun, here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one.